0: Well, praise the Lord. Uh, It's amazing, again, to look at his word and see the strength, see the glory that happens to be, again, written therein. And... uh We are just getting ready in Acts chapter five to start the second wave of persecution that came upon the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this uh, this uh, paragraph that we're going to look at this morning is almost like a transition paragraph, taking us from what has gone on before to what comes on afterwards, and it is an explanation of the witness of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one one of the things that I find amazing when you study the Word of God, and those who study the Word of God um, a bunch know this, that so often you look at a passage and you don't think much is there. And then the more that you look at it, the more that you dwell on it, the more that you meditate upon it, you see the life-giving message that happens to be again right here. And it's amazing to look at because when you look at this, we see this enormous rise in what we call Christianity, the church of Jesus Christ and people being added. But the other thing that we see in this passage of scripture, which I find so amazing, is that that these individuals that made up that early church took the Christianity seriously. And the reason why is because they took their God again so seriously. They saw him. They recognized who he was. There was a delight, but also a shock again as they learned more and more about this great God. And you can imagine it, right? How could you not take this God? How can you not take this Savior, this Lord, seriously after everything that's happened in the last couple chapters? We've seen again that uh, uh, Peter and John were arrested. And therefore, Christianity's a dangerous thing. Remember the warning as they were released was basically this. Don't you preach anymore in that name. If you preach in that name, these are the very people that killed the Lord Jesus. If you preach anymore in that, in that, that name, there's going to be repercussions. And remember what happened? They, they went away and they prayed to the mighty God to give them strength that they may obey this great God. And what happened? The whole building shook. Can you imagine that this morning? You know, here's, a, here's, a, here's somebody that comes into the pulpit and they pray. And all of a sudden, the whole building shakes to say that God is present there. How can you not take him seriously? And then we looked at last week, even the death of Ananias and judgment that came upon God on Ananias and Sapphira. You know, sin's a big deal. And it's a big deal. Let me just say this as clear as possible, among the people of God. You can imagine going to bed that night and thinking of all these events, how you couldn't help but examine your heart and confess any wayward way in your heart to this great God. You know, and one of the things I really love about this is how serious, how delighted they they were in this great God. They were amazed at this great Savior. They cherished him. But how they took all of Christianity, all of their life was a stewardship to this great God and how they took it so seriously. You know, I, uh, when, uh, when I was uh, studying for this sermon, it was a number of months ago, probably about six months ago, uh, there was something going on in the States. And what, what was going on in the States at that time? And people were throwing around a certain uh, word uh, because of going ons on a certain campus. And I think it was in Kentucky. And the word that was thrown around so often was the word revival you know that there was a revival taking place in fact the news media rushed down there there was various different religious organizations that began to investigate again this revival that went on and we realize what a revival is it's an it's an awakening isn't it? it's a stirring of the deepest recesses of our soul about who god is who jesus is even the sin that happens to be again in our life it's like we are be given new life that we haven't had before you know, And there was much investigation that went on that happened to be again right there. And I think a lot of times we pray for revival, don't we? We pray for revival in our churches. We pray for revival in our communities. We pray for revival in our nation. We pray for revival all the time. But I wonder, when we pray for revival, and think about it, because on Wednesday, Wednesday evening, we're coming together as a prayer, a prayer meeting. We're coming together to do business with this great God. We take him seriously. We need him. And when we pray for revival, what are we praying for? You know, what does that revival truly look look like? You know, when we talk even about revival among the people of God, what does it look like in my life? You know, what, what, what characteristics would come forth? What would change about my life? You know, and these are the things that I'm just amazed at, this passage of Scripture, because the incredible truth about this revival that took place, this uh, this outpouring of God's Spirit, is brought forth in verse number 14. And listen to to what it says. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You know, more than ever before you know, think back to chapter number two and how many came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was 3,000. Think again after the healing of the man at the gate beautiful. And here are, here, here are Peter and John and they preach Jesus Christ. And another 5,000 came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And right here we have a multitude greater than ever before. You know, and really that's the last of numbers. And the reason why there la- happens to be a last of numbers is because I think there was just too many people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that Luke really couldn't record it. There was multitudes, tens of thousands of individuals that would have been saved that made up the church that happened to begin at Jerusalem. And it was incredible, again, to look at this, because we can see it more than ever before. They, uh, they, there was a movement of God that happened to begin in their hearts, so much so that they took again their Christianity seriously. They were willing to sacrifice. Think of what we mean by sacrifice. Giving up what I could have for the glory of this great Jesus Christ, investing in his kingdom project for his eternal glory. They were willing to suffer the shame for that name of the Lord Jesus. And they took their Christianity so seriously. And I wanted to look at this in this church uh, this morning. I want us to see it under two headings. And the one is, again, I want us to understand the validation that these things were absolutely so. And the validation is basically the miracles. And let me just say this. These things really took place. (laughs) Let me say it again. This is not fairy tales. You know, this is actually history that took place. And it's meant to shock us. It's meant to awaken us. It's meant that we might have the same response of those that happened to be in the first century. So when we look at that, I want us to see that. I want us to see these miracles and just be in awe of the power, of the glory, of the majesty of the one that we call Jesus Christ. And then I want us to see the response, the response to, these, to, to, to the validation and also the message that came again with it. But I'll look at the miracles. Uh, there's given a general uh, statement about these miracles in verse number 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. And then we read right down in verses 15 and 16 what these miracles look like. It says, so, they, so that they, uh, they even carried out the sick into the street and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Amazing. <laughs> The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. You can imagine all the news going out about this healing, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And listen to what it says. And they were all healed. You know, and I can't state it enough because I think a lot of times we get used to reading these things in scripture. These things actually occurred. Otherwise, other words, there was people who were witnessing these, you know, all these sick people being brought, and all of a sudden, again, they were made whole. There was people who experienced it, experience it you know, whether it happened to be arthritis, whether it happened to be cancer, whether it happened to be, again, leprosy, whether it happens to be broken bones, whether it happens to be, again, uh, blindness. They were experiencing this power, this phenomenon that was going on. And like I said, if you wanted to know the day-to-day activity, what it looked like to be a believer in that church, what it looked like as the functionality of the church, it's given in verse number 12. You know, it's the general principle of what you could expect, you know, that happened to be there. Now, let me just say this before I read verse number 12. Let me just say this. We are cessationists. And what we mean by that is we believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that miracles aren't for today. Can God do miracles? Can he heal? Can all of a sudden again be your, your whatever ailment happens to be again cleared up? And the answer is absolutely yes. God can do whatever he wants to do. But miracles on, these, on this scale, we just don't see happening anymore. Any and the reason why is because God has decided to validate his message through the pure word of God. The word of God speaks. It's living. It's active. It tells us when you read it that beyond a shadow of doubt, this is the word of God. Now, saying all of that, the reason why I say all of this is this. So often we emphasize that, that we downplay what is taking place. We don't see the glory. We don't see the message. We don't see the see how God is validating everything that... The apostles are preaching and teaching. And these things actually took place. And so with that in mind, read verse number 12 again. Because look at what it says. Now many signs and wonders were, what, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together speaking of the whole church in Solomon's portico. Now when it speaks again of Solomon's portico, this was a place where Jesus taught. So that's probably why they gathered there. You know, and uh, the other thing you have to realize, this is still in the vicinity of Jerusalem. This is still, again, the uh, temple. And the early Christians here that happened to be in Jerusalem did not separate from Judaism. They separated from the era that happened to be there, but somehow they, saw, they thought they were still connected. You know, after we get to the next wave of persecution, especially when we come to chapter number 7, we'll see the dynamic of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ existing outside of Jude- Judaism really come into form. But it's amazing right here because it talks about these miracles, and they were regularly done. You know, there was a plethora of them. Otherwise, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It wasn't just, you know, I had a headache, you know, and I've had a headache for two or three years, and all of a sudden somebody came and a shadow was on me, and all of a sudden it cleared up. It isn't anything like that. You know, every ailment that they're bringing, and this is regularly done day after day after day, you know, and the other thing to see is the ones who were doing it. It wasn't the 10,000 that were engaged in these miracles. But the ones who were doing it, according to the text, were the apostles. And why were the apostles chosen? The apostles were chosen and commissioned by Jesus Christ to lay the foundation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? They were commissioned. And because they were commissioned, again, they were given this power and this ability to validate everything that they said about the life, about the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what these are called in the text are signs and wonders. And a wonder is just something that takes your breath away. You know, it's just so awe-inspiring. You know, it's just so amazing. It's the first time you've ever seen it. And all of a sudden, again... You are just amazed. You're just mesmerized. You cannot stop but think about that. In fact, it shocks you. It transfix you. It holds your attention, and you cannot look away. And a wonder, again, is something like this. I cannot explain this other than God. God is here. God has done this. And there's no other explanation. And it shocks you. It makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You know, it gets your attention. You cannot look away. And that's what a wonder is. And so you can imagine looking at these wonders, but they're also signs, aren't they? And a sign is a pointer. I cannot emphasize that. A sign is not the main thing. So if you go looking for the pastor's office and you go down the hallway and you come and there's a sign that happens to be again on the door and it says pastor's office, that's not the pastor's office, that sign, is it? You know, it's a sign saying inside, uh, on the other side of this door, is the pastor's office. You can look for me underneath the sign, but guess what? You're never going to find me. You're never going to find me underneath the sign. And why? Because it's a pointer. And this is what you have to see about these miracles. These miracles are never the main thing, are they? The main thing is Jesus Christ crucified, yay, risen from the grave. Why? Because I'm a sinner, I need to repent of my sins, and I need to trust Jesus Christ. And that's what they were. They were validating pointers, validating signs to the incredible, again, truth of Jesus Christ. You know, they pointed to him. And you can see, again, uh, uh, what these miracles really look like in verses 15 and 16, because they're given a description of it. And I find this description, again, so amazing. You know, many times we look at the... uh, uh, works of the Lord Jesus Christ and the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the amazing thing about this. I don't know if anything was ever done by Jesus such to this extent. And Jesus even said about the uh, disciples in John that they would do greater works than he had ever done. And think about this because it says, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might fall on some of them The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were afflicted with unclean spirits. And here it is. And they were all healed. Isn't it amazing? All of them. You know, can you imagine this? Because I think a lot of times there's no hospitals in the ancient world. There's no such thing, you know, well, we're going to go to the doctors today. We're going to go to the clinic. You know, we're going to go to this big structure and we're going to get help, you know, for, for whatever ails us. There's no such thing as that. You know, so think about it. Think about it again, because in modern-day terminology, in ancient time, you'd have to go. You'd have to go to this place that happened to begin in Jerusalem. But in modern-day terminology, can you imagine a faith healer all of a sudden going into the hospital, and he walks down the corridor. And as he walks down the corridor, after room, after room, after room, because of his presence being there, healed, 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 healed. And everyone is instantly healed. Do you think that would get the attention of the news? Do you think, again, all of a sudden we would want to tune in to find out more about what is happening? You know, that's what's taking place here. Even the very shadow, because of the presence of Christ, because of the power of Christ, and it and, and names all kinds of maladies, doesn't it? They, they, they were healed with, with whatever they were afflicted of, whether it happened to be disease, whether it happened to be blindness, whether it happens to be lameness, whether it happens to be leprosy, which there was no cure for. You know, they were all healed of this. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter if they were a believer or unbeliever. It didn't matter if they were young or old. It didn't matter if they were rich or poor. It didn't matter if they were male or female. It did not matter who they were. They were all brought. And they were all healed, and they were all healed instantly. That's amazing, isn't it? And he goes on and even uh, explains this. And I think this is so significant in the passage of Scripture because it says, bringing the sick. And then it says this, and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and then it ends this way, and they were all healed. They were healed of what? Their sicknesses, and here it is, unclean spirits. And why, why do I emphasize that? Because again, we have a lot of hocus pocus that goes on today with demonology, with the whole idea of spirit inhabitation. Inhabit- in, 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 in when it's looked upon, again, throughout the Gospels, it's looked upon as this, as it is a form of suffering, right? Somebody has lost their mind. Somebody is, again, in the wilderness running around naked. Somebody is throwing themselves in the fire because they've lost their senses. In other words, it's this. They are suffering. And therefore, here's, here's the healing. They are healed. It's not, again, this exercise that comes out. It's not, again, that they have the de- demon of pornography, or they have the demon, again, of lust, or they have the demon of anger, or they have the demon of alcohol. It's not saying that whatsoever. They have this, and here it is, here it is, unclean spirits are part of living in this fallen world that brings suffering into life. And here's the amazing thing. They were all healed. It doesn't matter what the malady was. Now, You might be sitting here this morning and say, that is really hard to believe. Like, come on. We live in a scientific age. Isn't it true? You know, everything is uh, proven in the uh, laboratory. You know, everything. Again, we have a closed system, and this is the way things operate, and you cannot operate again outside of a closed system. There's no way that these things could ever take place. You know, at the most, if you believe what this passage says, you are naive. At worst, you're an absolute fool. You're an absolute moron. Who would believe things like this? You know, but there's something that you really have to attest to. There's something you really have to explain. And it's basically this. How did Christianity rise so rapidly? I mean, who were the first preachers? Right? Statesmen? Generals? Generals? Rich, rich men with a lot of influence. You know, I'm going to follow him. Look at, look at everything he has. You know, who were they? They were Galileans, and most of them fishermen. You know, and you have to ask yourself, how did Christianity rise so quickly? Because there is an explanation that happens to be again in the passage. You know, in verse number 14, think about it. Again, it comes after verse number 12. And it says, and more than ever, right? Right? It's talking about in the relation to these miracles, in relation to this message being preached, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so verse number 12 begins that whole idea of these signs and wonders. And then we come to verse number 14. And verse number 15 adds this. So that, you know, and he goes on, that these afflictions, people came to People were healed. And And here it is. It connects them that they're seeing these validating miracles, and they want to know the message. They want to know why these things are taking place. And here they're getting a taste of the coming kingdom. In other words, there is a king. He has come. His name is Jesus. And there's only one way to enter that kingdom. And that is faith and repentance in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Think of what they did. They validated the message. This is true about Jesus Christ. Now, somebody might object, say, okay, I'll give you that. You know, there's no other way it explained than the rapid rise of Christianity than these things had to take place. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll throw you that bone. You know, uh, but here it comes. Here it comes. Why don't we see these things happening today? And let me say this. God can do whatever he wants to. He can. He can validate the message any way he chooses to. He's not limited by what you think or what I think. Do you know that? But let me tell you, the moment you say, well, I will give you that, that these things had to take place, the moment you say that, you've crossed a threshold that you cannot uncross. And you know what a threshold is? That these things actually took place. And if they took place, they pointed to a Lord, to a Savior, to the problem of your own human sin before this all-glorious, all-powerful holy God that you have to deal with, that you have to see that one day you'll meet. And, And here's the amazing thing. I think a lot of times we fool ourselves and we think of this, there's just not enough evidence if I just had more evidence, you know, if God would just do the things that he did in Acts chapter, what is it, uh, five, I would believe. You know, and I think a lot of times we fool ourselves. Isn't it true? Because if what we read in the word of God and the testimony, again, of a scripture and the testimony, even as uh, was Presented to us in Psalm chapter 19 this morning, the creation that happens to begin around us, that there is a holy God. If we don't believe that, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, it doesn't matter how many miracles are done. You will not believe. You know, and uh, remember Jesus' teaching about the rich man and Lazarus? Remember that one? You know, uh, Lazarus wakes up and he's in his place again of bliss. He, he happened to be a beggar all of his life and the rich man wakes up in torment. And he realizes that there's no crossing, that divide. But he also, again, has a great fear for his brother. So he asks that Lazarus would be sent back to warn his brothers. Because certainly if they would see somebody risen from the grave, they would believe on him. And remember the answer that comes back? The answer that comes back is this. If they do not hear, in other words, the word of God, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone... Should rise from the dead. And true. And here's the thing: you know, we see this mighty outpouring of God's Spirit. We see again people being changed, people coming into Christ, people believing on Christ, people taking their Christianity again so seriously. And I think we think this: everyone who saw these miracles, these signs, these wonders actually came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you. Nothing further can be the, uh, uh, the uh, truth. Because right after we read about the, all of these signs and wonders, right after in the next paragraph, in verse number 17, it says this, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and listen what it says, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. Right? You're not going to do these miracles in Jesus' name. You're not going to do these things. You're not going to preach in these names. And here they are, filled with jealousy. You know, all these people are following, all these people are believing in Jesus. They're not following us. You know, they saw the same miracles. And here's the whole point: God can validate his message any way he wants to. And I don't think, you know, when you read Psalm chapter 19, where you grip this morning, with all the word of God does. With all the word of God is. You know, this light, this glory that, again, convicts us of sin, that warns us, that shows us the treasure of Christ and the treasure of heaven. You know, this word that changes us. Did you, did you hear that this morning? Because here's the amazing thing. God has chosen to validate that these things are so through his word. That's what we call it, right? we don't call it just the scripture or just the bible we call it what the word of possessive right possessive possessive you know it's possessive In other words it's somebody's word the word of god i wonder do we believe that do we trust that because here's the thing, if we truly believe that, then the same response that they had in that first century to all of these signs, all of these wonders, we should have when we read it. This is my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this about in this passage. He says, there is an important principle here for all of us. The great question for us is not whether we have seen these things But whether, and this is so good, but whether we have understood their significance. These events are meant to speak to us, to convey a message. It is not necessary, therefore, to have seen them. We have heard them as the people here in Acts had heard them. There were different groups of people there. And the reactions were different. And so the vital question is, here it is. As you hear this record in the early chapters of Acts what is your reaction what an effect does it have upon you I mean does it create an awe does it create again a sense of wonder a sense of majesty does it cause our attention to fixate upon Jesus? Has Jesus, you know, when you read about this, when you read about what has happened regularly done, when you read about that, does Jesus become bigger and grander? You know what happens in revival? What happens in revival is there is an aliving of the soul because of this. Because my God, because my Jesus has become bigger. He's become uncontainable. He's captured my attention. Everything starts to lose their value. I'm willing to give this up. I'm willing to go through this. I'm willing to go through that. I'm willing to throw this away. And why? Because my God, my Savior has become bigger. And I wonder, are you gripped by this God? Are you gripped by this Lord? This Savior, Jesus Christ? Because it is amazing, it does call for a response, and I want us to look at the response, and I want us to go back up to what we looked at last week in verse number 11, because look at what it says, and it says, in great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all who heard these thanks. And then we can skip down to verses 13 and 14, which we haven't looked at, it says, none of the, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. You know, and I find this, I, I, I tell you, the first time I looked at this, I go, okay, okay. You know, what does it say? What does it say? There's not much in here. Again, we can use this as an introduction to the next paragraph and really get, get, get on there. But it's incredible. Again, to look at it. I find it so challenging. And the reason why I find it so challenging is many times our churches do not function. Our churches do not have this reaction. You know, uh, if I can describe our Christianity today, I would describe it as Christian light, right? We will have a little bit of Jesus. I can remember reading a uh, a sign, I think it was in Hobby Lobby or somewhere else like that. A little bit of coffee and a little bit of Jesus does me for the whole day. Ah! (laughs) Don't buy it for me, please. You know, Uh, um, a little bit of Jesus, you know, that's what makes a good life, isn't it? He fits in, again, to, to, to it. And I think that's the way that we look at Jesus. You know, I want a ha- happy life. I want everything to go go my way. I want to have the fewest problems that I can ever have, and that's why I follow Jesus, right? You know, if I follow Jesus, all of a sudden I belong to a people who are accepting of me. They like me. They like me whether I'm good, whether I'm bad, whether I'm ugly, whatever, whatever happens to me again in my life, they will accept me. You know, I have friends, and friends, again, that happen to be loyal to me. You know, I have events that happen to be getting on my, my social calendar where I can get out, where I can fellowship with a lot of people. And I love the morality of Christianity because I don't have all the drama that so many people around me have. And I love that. You know, and what do we love about it? We love about what it does for us. You know, if you do a Google search... But the popular subjects that happen to begin in, I would say, conservative Christianity. I'm not even speaking, again, of uh, the fire wingers that happen to begin over there. What subjects do you think would be? You know, how to? here it is. The secret to raising obedient children. And all the parents went, what's he going to say next? I want to know that secret. And, you know, how about this? How to have a joyous marriage. You know, how I can get him to love me? How can I get her to respect me? The five languages of love. How about this? How I can get out of debt using biblical principles? How can I have more money using what the Bible tells me about stewardship? Now, let me just say this. All those subjects are mentioned in the word of God. But here's the, here's the kicker. All of them, when taught by themselves, have, here it is, me as a sinner. Right? Have me. It's all about me. Jesus you're allowed in my life to make it more happy, to make it more joyous to make it more problem-free. And I wonder how many times we look at our Christianity from that perspective. Because look at the Christianity of the first century believers in verse number 11. Look at what it says. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, I want to explain what they feared. And I also would want to look at, and I want to ask the question, Who feared? You know, I think both of those are relevant to really understanding the response and reaction that all of us, irregardless of who we happen to be to this great God that happens to be above. You know, and let me just say this. It's not very hard to answer the question, what did they fear? Because it's not what did they fear, but who did they fear, right? Because after you get past chapter number two and into chapter number three and then now chapter number four and chapter number five, something is happening all the time. And you know what it is? These signs and wonders, Right, right. They're happening over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it says God's here, Christ is here. I have to pay attention to this, to this message. And there's an earthquake. Remember the earthquake? Remember they're praying, and all of a sudden, here's this God's present. And remember, all of a sudden, there's these two individuals. Here's people that are just so committed to Christ. What can I do to help out my brother? What can I do to help out my sister? What can I do to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to take this land. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it all. And there was one couple, again, who was hypocritical about that. You know, the one standing. And all of a sudden, they are struck dead by the judgment of this great God. Again, do you think you take Christ, God seriously? Do you think, again, all of a sudden it would wake you up? You know, and I know the argument that happens to be out there. A lot of people use the argument, and the argument is basically this. In many of our popular songs, and I'm not saying they're all wrong, but fear, again, is not going to hold me. Fear is not going to shackle me. And why? Because I have Christ, and he has paid the penalty for my sin. And we can even find chapter and verse why we should not fear you know such as first john chapter 4 uh, verse number 19 says there is no what fear in love but fear. perfect fear casts but perfect love casts out fear why for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected or matured in love you know look at what jesus christ has done He's paid that perfect penalty. We even celebrated and sung about it this morning. All my sins have been canceled. I stand absolutely perfect. We're going to celebrate it even with the table this morning. Christ has done it all. So here's the question. Because we have other commands that happen to be in the word of God that said it's good and right and healthy for us. Even as a people of God to fear, to fear God, right? And here's the thing you have to realize. The fear that is engendered in us because of a certain knowledge that we have of God, right? Because of who he is, what he calls us to be, you know, his holiness, his ma- ma- majesty. When I have that knowledge, it creates, again, a fear. It doesn't matter if I are a believer or unbeliever, But the difference, right? It's the same in here, but the difference is in the response. And let me describe it, first of all. And it's basically this. God, if you've ever had this happen in your life, it can happen over and over and over and over and over again. You know, and it's this. God, Jesus is so much more greater, so much more glorious, so much more holy, so much more other than anything I had ever thought in my life. And it creates a stunning fear that happens to be again in us that's uneasy at the same time for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, delightful. Remember the disciples? They're on the Sea of Galilee. Remember Jesus? <laughs> I always like that picture of him being asleep. In you know, sleep, isn't he Safe in his father's care. You know, and all of a sudden the waves are coming. I don't know how big they were and how tired Jesus must have been in his perfect humanity. But all these waves and the storm, you know, and if you've ever been next to the Atlantic and seen 20 foot waves, it is absolutely awe inspiring. And you can imagine they wake him up and they say, Master, don't you care that we're gonna perish? They're fearful. What does Jesus do? Be still. Now think about what happened next. Right? Instantly. Think of the reaction that happened. Because the reaction, again, that happened is in Matthew. Um, uh, let me see if I can find it. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 41. It says, they were all filled with great fear and said to one another. Right? They're filled with great fear. And listen to what they're saying to one another. Who then is this that even the wind... And the sea obey him. Again, put yourself in the text. You know, uh, this past week, there happened to be a major hurricane that hit Florida. You know, and if, and if you've ever seen, again, like I said, a storm come in from the sea, it is absolutely frightening. You know, I've seen pictures once of a hurricane coming ashore off South Carolina, and there was these straws, these pieces of straw that actually penetrated big, Blocks of wood. They went right through because again they were sailing so fast through the air they almost became like a nail. And can you imagine being in the midst of that, caught in your home? You know, and here the whole house is shaking. Here again, all of a sudden the roof is coming out and you look out your window and you see in the distance somebody coming. And all of a sudden you hear him cry out, Be still. And everything, all the storm, all the wind, all the waves, all the rain, all of a sudden has gone. Now, here's the question everything's destroyed around you. What are you fixed on? Are you fixed on everything destroyed around you? Are you fixed on that person who said, be still? What grips your heart? What gives you a greater fear in the depths of your soul? And it's Christ. And here's here's what the fear of Jesus is. He's not safe. This is what we try to do. We try to put God in a box. We try to understand him perfectly. And now I know how he operates. I know how he's functioned. I know who he is. And I've got him in my theological box, and it's really safe. And all of a sudden, here it is be still. All of a sudden, it's all of these miracles. All of a sudden, it's all of these judgments. All of a sudden, the building is shaken. And Christ, even though he's not present, is so much bigger, so much grander. That's what it means to fear God. That's what it means to fear Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, because this is the difference between believer and unbeliever. This is the difference, again, even when, a, when God revives our soul, when we start to see the significance of Christ more and more that happened to begin in our life, there's a difference in response, isn't there? There's going to be, again, one group that is going to be drawn towards this God in fearful delight and amazement of this great God. And there's going to be the other group that's going to be repulsed. I want nothing to do with this God. You know, I realize my sin. I realize it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But I don't want my life to change. I don't want to give up the things that I delight in in the here and now. Right? If he's striking people down, I just can't play the hypocrite. Right? And that's the amazing thing uh, because you hear about that in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 13. Because listen to what it says. Sorry, guys, I missed a couple of verses there. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 13 it says, Now nah, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Right? Why wouldn't they dare to join them? Because I want what I want. And I don't want to be like Ananias and Zahira. My God knows. I don't want to be like him. Can you imagine? Here, here's a church. Here they're living. And there's people that saying, what can I get out of this? What do you think they did after that? <laughs> what, what do you think people did when all of a sudden the, the Sanhedrin said, if you keep preaching in that name, there's going to be consequences. What do you think they did? I respect. I'm gone. Jesus talked about that. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. He says, as for what was sown on rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And listen what happens. And when tribulation or persecution arises why does it arise on account of the word In other words on account of Jesus Christ immediately he falls away nobody's against miracles let me just say that again nobody is against miracles right he's got sight he can walk again. He's cleared again of that disease. Nobody's against miracles. What they are against is the word of God, which those miracles point to. Isn't it true? Now, here's the thing. I want you to think about it. If God purified our church, and all of a sudden we had ten false professors of faith, and all of a sudden it became more difficult to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we saw ten people leave our church, get up and walk out, Why would that be a good thing? Because aren't those the people we're supposed to reach? Why would it ever be a good thing that people would be driven away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? It's because of Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14. Think about it. Right? God purifies his people. And this is what happens. And more than ever... Believers were added to the church. <laughs> Let me just stop. Believers were added to the Lord. I love that, don't you? Because who we saved, who we added to, we're added to the Lord, and then we're added to the church. In other words, again, our identification with the church, with the living church, with the people of God, is evidence that we are the people of God, but we're added to the Lord. He's the one who was saved. We're saved by grace through him alone. And it says, multitudes of both men and women, We're coming to the Lord and trusting in him. And here you have this massive movement of God's spirit, of individuals placing their trust in Jesus Christ. But you know where it begins? You know where it begins? Because God has chosen to use means. And he's chosen to use the people of God. And you know where any movement of God's spirit starts? You know where any revival starts? It starts with the people of God. I see who Christ is. I have a new revelation. I have a new understanding of what he has said in his revelation of who he happens to be. And it causes awe. It causes me to see the significance. It causes me to see how great and grand. It causes me to see my sin. It causes me to have a heart for Christ. It causes me to be willing to give up. It causes me to be willing to suffer. And it causes me to have a heart for evangelism. And here's the thing do we see it in our church? Do we see that otherworldly understanding, significance, that growing significance of who Christ is? And before you answer that question become too critical of to the people that haven't been around you, let me ask you this question Do you see it in your life? Do you see that Christ is so? Massive. And all of a sudden, goods and kindred lose their significance because he creates such an awe, such a wonder in us. Revival begins with the people of God. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing passage! What a glorious passage. Lord, when we think about the significance of all that you have done through Jesus Christ, when we think again of the validating even miracles that we read about today, Lord, they should, they should cause our hearts to wonder. They should cause our hearts to be astonished and shaken at its very core. Lord, of who you are, of who Christ is. Lord, of even how he has chosen to build his church. Lord, when we read your precious word, should awaken our souls that this is none other than your gift that's given to a humanity that we might know you, that we might perceive as much as we can of you. Lord, be with us. Stretch our minds with your gospel, Stretch our minds with Christ. Lord, that we might be changed from one degree of glory to another. And I ask, Lord, that you would revive each one of us. Lord, that you would instill that spirit, the Lord of the greatness of Christ in each one of us. I ask, Lord, that it would cause us to reach out to our communities that happen to be again around us. Lord, that we would lose sight of ourselves. We would lose sight that we would save face with somebody, Lord, or even lose something in this life that we might be testimonies of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that there might be a revival, not only in our community, not only in our church, but in our country. Lord, do great things that you and your son might be magnified and might be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name this morning and for his glory. Amen.